Welcome to Epson Included. Giovanni here. Um, if it's the first time you're tuning in and listening, welcome. Uh, be sure to follow me, Spotify, Acast, or wherever podcasts are available. Tips not included, and or as well on Instagram, underscore past assault. Uh, please do follow or share, tag us if you like. Uh, today on the show we have Miguel. Hey, hey, hey! What is good, homie? Oh, you know, not much. Just sitting here with my coffee. Ditto. It's good How to join you? you. I am. Um, I'm weird. Um, I've had a a strange few days in terms of um, sleeping habits. Mm-hmm. Like I'll I'll wake up at seven in the morning on any given day for any random reason, and then I'll be up to like three in the morning, and then I'll wake up like at ten in the morning, and then I'll go to bed at midnight. I don't know. It's weird. It's it's a weird. It's I don't know. My my schedule's all fucked up. It's kind of like ass backwards and shit. Yeah. What is what is your schedule? What are you doing right now? Well, I don't have a schedule. I try to give myself a schedule. It it worked <laughs> for the first month or so, and then it just kind of get went to shit. It just like schedule who, like schedule yeah. what, like who needs a schedule. Um, jobs. <laughs> but. <laughs> To be honest, it's it's kind of weird. It's uh, I I've been trying to like set myself up with different things, like yeah. you know, activities, exercise, spending time with my grandmother, my mom, basically the family. I even scheduled puppy time, you know. Oh, crazy. Yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta keep it. You gotta, I don't know, man. I don't I don't have the luxury. I wouldn't say luxury because I don't think it's luxury for a lot of people. I just don't have the opportunity to have work at the moment, so I'm just trying to do the best I can and just trying to keep myself busy. I've been working on my project for a little while longer now, so uh, I'm just going at that. How about you? What you been up to? Happens. Last time I spoke to you, you were writing or yeah, starting to write. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the the daily work of the moment. Um. Yeah, my my restaurant thing expired with COVID like a week after New York shut down. They were like, "Okay, well, y'all don't have jobs anymore." Um, so yeah, I've been kind of trying to figure out because you know how I've always felt about the day job being the day job and being something that leaves time for for the art, you know, the real work, but ugh, I don't know. I've been like, I don't know if this restaurant thing is. You mean you might have know. to switch industries? Yeah, yeah, and I'm—I mean, like that's why I got a college degree. So I'm just like, this might just be the time to to suck it up and go get a nine to five for a while. Hmm. I mean, you don't have to go a nine to five. You could. There's other alternatives. I mean. You know. Yeah, but. If it's not a restaurant and it's not writing full time, it feels like a nine to five. Or if I'm not like on a set or whatever, I'm just like, this is. If it's work, I describe it as a nine to five. You know. I know what you mean. It's like you. You're not talking about the schedule of time or like, oh, I'm at work at nine in the morning. No, you're talking about like just the essence of like five days a week, eight hour right. shifts. Right. It's kind of like, like mundane kind of lifestyle. You're building to promotions to raise in the company or whatever. Right. Right. I know what you mean. Okay, I get you. Like, you know, that 
I don't know. I, I don't want to criticize that type of environment because it's, it's not necessarily a bad one. It's just not one for me. I'll criticize it. It fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it just, um, I feel like once my restaurant opens back up, it's going to be such a shit show, like, with the hours and with, like, health precautions and with all of, like, I'm just like, I don't even know if I'll be able to work full time. And if I if I can work full time, like I'll be fine, like financially or whatever. But otherwise, it's just like, okay, um, gotta go. I mean, here's the thing. I've I've had this conversation with I won't say many different people, but definitely a handful of individuals, whether ranging from family and friends. Mm-hmm. And. You know, they they've asked me like, so you know, what are you what are you thinking about doing now? Like, are you gonna go back into restaurants? Is this is this something that you you know you consider yourself doing, or are you gonna take this opportunity to kind of like go into a different workforce, like a different field? And I'm like, I, yeah. honestly, I don't know. I don't know what restaurants are gonna be looking like towards the end of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're gonna be worth. I don't I, I don't want to say worth my time because you gotta invest time in any job, but just like, you're definitely not gonna get the same amount of income or you can't expect the same weekly income as you used to be able before right so you know it it makes you feel or actually makes you think like if i'm gonna invest same amount of time i might as well invest it in a different environment or work industry where i can get a certain skill set in return along with the same amount of money or even more so yeah yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's just not, I don't know. It's it's a very uncertain time for a, a lot of people in a lot of different industries, including the hospitality, food and beverage, restaurants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a shit show. But yeah. I like the, f- go ahead. Well, once we get back in the, the swing of things, it's like... The place I worked mostly was like a high volume place, so it's like if that has to be cut down by you know a fourth, it's like those people's operational budget is gonna go down by <laughs> you know whatever high amount because they can't just cram people into every conceivable space in this restaurant anymore. Oh no doubt, especially like if, if you like not everybody thinks about it, but if you look into formulas and the operational formulas of how restaurants are put together in terms of expenses and cost and salaries and all these other things like yeah you you have a formula based on your capacity right in terms of how many people can you you know host how many people can you have in your space whether it's a bar or restaurant doesn't matter like the hope the goal for you to cover your expenses and break even and make a profit is by putting butts in the seats right and if, right if you can, if you can't do that, and you can only do so in a limited way, can you even break even? Is the question. It's like, you know. So I'm, I'm curious to see what solutions restaurateurs are gonna come up with. I'm trying. I'm, I'm curious in seeing the creativity out there in terms of design and service and concepts and a lot of other things. You know. Yeah, I've seen a lot of. I've seen a lot. Um, just going around the city the last couple weeks, I've seen a lot of. Um, sidewalk sort of like like in new orleans where people like buy buy alcohol and just like drink it outside okay 
that's kind of what it like is like the bars like set up their little bar things in the door to like make alcohol for people on the sidewalk i like that that's that's actually pretty chill but then there's also like i don't know if you heard um about cuomo like calling people out yeah i saw that yesterday (laughs) was it yesterday or was it this morning uh, it was yesterday because nobody's really social distancing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I was on my bike yesterday. I went to Brooklyn and I literally was like, "Oh, the city is open." I guess. <laughs> wow, it doesn't feel like a quarantine. I mean, I'm here in Puerto Rico and the beaches just started opening up, and some of the restaurants started opening up again in terms of like limited capacity and. People are social distancing in bubbles, not necessarily within themselves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what people. I think I feel like that's that's as good as you're gonna get people to be. You know, it's like all social distance, but I'm gonna stay really close to the people that I came here with, and also like have my mask off and be in their faces in front of all of you. But the question is like. Is the people within your bubble when you're going out and hanging out, are these people in your bubble, like, are they people that you've been seeing on the regular, or are they just people you haven't seen in two months, and it's just like, what's the difference then? Just because you trust them, you like them, you know? Well, that's, I had that, I had that sort of experience where, um, once, once they announced, you know, like, you should try not to leave your home, I have a group of friends there's three of us and we just like we hang out constantly anyway so we just like kept hanging out like together and then yeah it was very much like oh it was like these are the only people that i like see physically so whenever we were out it was like whatever because we're, we're also potheads so it was like we share the blunt what's <laughs> what? What difference is it going to make if I'm literally breathing in your spit from this blunt versus, like, talking to you from two feet away, you know? Yeah, the line's been crossed anyway, so you might as well just right. go all the way. Right, right. But, yeah, I, I feel like for people in public, that's an interesting question because it's, like, if it is someone that you're just seeing now after not seeing them for however long, it's, like, how many people are you exposing yourself to Have like by exposing yourself to this one person? It's it's really interesting because I feel like I feel like um, there was this whole thing with HIV and like STIs where it was like I used to think about that a lot like only in the sexual perspective but now it's like everywhere it's like oh has this person been near a person who has COVID and how contagious could they have been and the thing about COVID that kills me is the not the no symptoms the asymptomatic people <laughs> how does that happen how is that so common i mean, I mean you know, you science know, I is I a have, beautiful right? thing but science could also be an evil motherfucker right 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 well apparently once you once you get it and people aren't talking about it but once you get it you like stay scarred in the lungs for the rest of your life like you might need a transplant you might need a respirator forever like apparently it really really racks your body i mean we're gonna be able to i mean right now Things are just, like, if you look at any article related to COVID, a lot of these things are going to be popping up in terms of, you know, conversations and questions like, hey, what are we discovering? What What's new? What what are they finding out about, like, you know, post-corona symptoms and whatnot? And I, I feel like the reality is that we're not really going to get a grip of, like, 
the post-corona symptoms and the life for like another two to three years at the very least because this is when we're going to start seeing like the people that recovered the 30-somethings, the 40-somethings, the 50-somethings, what their life is going to be like for the next two or three years and what symptoms are going to arise from here to then. Right, right. Right, and it's literally because it's literally brand new. <laughs> yeah, so we're it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a hell of a next three to five years. So if you're sitting down to write your like three to five year life plan or whatever you want to call it, uh, I wouldn't say good luck with that. Just enough. just have a backup one after that and another one after that one. Just well, you know what you know what's interesting about Corona though is like. You hear about the 1918 pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like nobody had heard of that, right? Like, I guess, like, people that were experts in the history or in the medicine or whatever knew about the 1918 pandemic. But, like, we know about it now only because corona came. And it's like, I wonder if corona is going to be the same where it's going to be here and be, like, horrible and spread havoc and then just kind of, like, mysteriously disappear. I don't think it's going to disappear. I mean, I do agree with you where... It might be something that we just kind of get used to and comfortable in terms of having around. Mm, but I think, I, mean, I think the comfort is going to be more so in the understanding of it. You know, the, the lack of ignorance that we had before. You know, that we're going to be able to get a grip on it. Maybe not a cure, but definitely ways to treat the symptoms, ways to prevent it, or just at least minimize the contagion aspects of it. Right. Um, You know, I have a friend who is, like, really into wall climbing, which I've also gotten into recently, and we were talking about what it would take for a place like that to open up again. And it was, like, I mean, I, I I thought you would have to be able to, like, test everybody at the door. Right? To, like, make sure that nobody got in and, and got it on your surfaces. We're talking about a climbing gym, right? Yeah. Okay. Right? Because I mean, it's like you can't... It's a bit difficult because when you're climbing, there's... you, you I mean, there's different routes that you take in terms of bouldering and, you know, climbing up the wall and... You right, know, right, right, you're, right, you're, right. Like, not everybody sweats while they're climbing, but it depends on... Your level of expertise and what routes you're taking, the difficulty routes, and right. it could be, you know, sweat drenching, and it could be, and it could not. It's, you know, and then you're sweating, you touch your forehead, you cough, you grab another boulder, you keep climbing, and then somebody comes right after you, tries to climb up that trail, right. touching boulders. You know, right. most people right. like when they drop, they drop on the cushions on the floor. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Similar to basketball yeah. in the sense of like not contact between people, but in terms of like there's it's just it's hard to predict. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I just it's it's difficult to go about it because do you sanitize boulders? Do you, do you, you need chalk. You need grip. You know. You need chalk and you need grip, right? And then how do you go about? How do you go about? sanitizing it after every person uses it or like before it's like are they are they gonna make up some kind of like self-cleaning grip i don't know is it gonna make the boulders less grip i guess like what's the word less uh uh traction yes yes are the boulders gonna but i don't i'm not sure what the word is damn 
Well, actually, now that now that we're talking about you know like different alternatives that different industries are trying to go about, or just basically brainstorming on what industries are going to be looking like. What's your what's your? I just I want to get your take because it's it's Pride Month. It's you know LBGTQ celebration, and obviously, I mean, this year is going to be completely different. Specifically on the fiftieth anniversary of Pride Month, which is you know shit. That so, was last year. It's not this year? No, that was last year. Are you sure? Um, yes. Okay, well, anyways. New York Times <laughs> New York Times basically posted a virtual pride guide for 2020. Yeah. And I think maybe they're talking about from a New Yorker's perspective. Uh, the first pride parade was actually 50 years ago in 1970 in oh, New yeah, York yeah. City. The first, pride, the first pride parade, but when we celebrate pride... What we are celebrating is what happened the year before that. Uh, in 1969, there were these riots. In San Francisco? Brutality. No, here. In New in York? In the Stonewall in, in New York City, yeah. In the, East, in the West Village. Okay. West Village. Yeah, Wait, Stonewall, right next to Duplex. On 7th and Avenue South. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, basically, like black trans women had enough and they were like fuck you cops and then all the rest of the gays were like yeah fuck you cops and so we just like rioted and burned shit down and broke cars and shit and it started the movement i mean that was like really the spark that led to any gains that like non-hetero or cis people have made came from that i mean there was there was like stuff going on before it's been really interesting to get into um because I'm a writer, like, trying to understand, like, the lineage of, like, queer storytelling um, through, like, before and after Stonewall, like, you can tell there's, like, a very big difference in the way that, like, specifically, like, American gay writers, like, saw do you think themselves. It, do you think it's because they have a little bit more confidence after, like, post-69? Uh, think... Or do you think they just, like, they're being... They're being a little bit more cavalier about their stories, and they're like, you know what? The word is out. The movement started. I'm not going to censor myself anymore, and I'm going to open up about what I want to create and how I want to go about my stories. Right. Well, I wouldn't even say it was even more of an opening up. It just was more of a like a comfort in the story. You know what I mean? Like Before, it would be more... It was like the French writers were like, yes, we are lit bags, it is fabulous. <laughs> in, like in America, it was very like, I mean, like there's this thing about, about poetry all being about, about male, like man poetry, not all poetry, obviously, but like poetry written specifically by men being all about like the desire for a man. But it's poetry, so it's, like, hidden because you're not talking about, you know, the male body. You're talking about a flower or, like, a, a, a cliff or a mountainside. You know what I mean? Um, so I wouldn't say it was... I wouldn't say it was more of, like, an explicitness or, like, a boldness. It was... There was a, a transition sort of, like, toward, like, a comfort with, like, owning it publicly. Um, and I think that that comes from... Like, as as queer people, we grow up in this world that's very, like, it's not okay to be you. I mean, it's much less that, and I'm so fucking happy for, like, the steps that the culture has taken. Like, 
there are there are little kids who don't understand what homophobia is until they like you know become adults which i think is so beautiful but like even as as like recently as my generation it was like no homophobia is the way you're gonna grow up like hearing that you are like different and weird and don't add value to the conversation and like shouldn't be here and like don't deserve to like feel safe taking up space like that shit takes its toll and i think in 1969 in stonewall it was like nah we've had no more it was it was yeah i think it was like a public a public symbol that was just like oh when you push i mean it's yeah when you push too far people are going to so there's okay so there's this um and I hate to bring in the four agreements, but I don't hate to bring in the four agreements. You know the four agreements? I've I've heard you talk about it before. <laughs> it's okay. We everybody has hey, I have my own things I live by and so do you and I I support them and I am glad to hear about the four agreements. <laughs> or at least yeah, well, this, I, this one agreement. There's well there it's not even an agreement, it's just it's it's like the reason that this book like shifted so much of my thinking is because he says you tolerate as much abuse as you give yourself and i think that like as a community we were taught to abuse ourselves and i think that in 1969 we were pushed past the point where where we were going to tolerate anything you know cuz cuz the people were like the the thing is like Nightlife in New York has always been a thing, right? Okay. And 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 queer people in nightlife has always been a thing. Of course. I don't know. I don't know what it is about us, but I I have that nocturnal thing where I'm just like I would rather wake up at six p.m. and party till nine in the morning. You know. Than, I mean, creatures of the night. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, I think I think there just was some sort of build up to that moment but that moment is definitely the shift um 1969 so it's been actually interesting this year because um of covid like the the you know pride had kind of been taken over by the corporations well actually yeah piggybacking on that because i remember i think this was Back when you and I were still working together, I would say about, what, seven years ago, give or take? Like a long-ass time, yeah. A long-ass time ago. I remember, you know, we always used to work together in the summertime, ironically, which was right around Pride Month. And I remember you didn't want to partake in part of the celebrations because you didn't agree with the fact that celebrating and partying and floats and carnivals and all these loud rambunctious events were taking on and people were either diluting or forgetting about the main message behind and the what you wanted to accomplish behind pride month and you felt a certain offensive offense towards that the fact that a lot of these marches a lot of these pride parades a lot of these events were more towards leisure activities and and partying and you know all these other things that come with it as opposed to keeping the light focused on you know progressing on you know justice and kind of like rights and making more and more progress with time 
and as opposed to being educating, people were celebrating and partying. Now, yeah. well, my perspective has definitely shifted on that. Like now, I think that that if you were to like, I think that the people who are fighting for the rights are fighting for the rights for the people who want to party. You know what I mean? Like, like it's it's. I viewed it as a very like in a very simplistic way, but it like the education part of it and the and the legislation part of it and the like activism part of it like everyone doesn't have to be involved. This is something that I'm like really coming to understand more deeply now um, because the thing about this pride is like I don't know if you heard about the the demonstration in Brooklyn yesterday? No, I'm sorry. Uh, for, it was for Black Trans Lives and 15,000 people showed up. Oh, okay, yes, I'm, I'm lying. I did see, actually, I'm not lying. I, I didn't know much about it, but I did see a post on Instagram lately about the movement. It was yellow and, you know, just talking about a few things. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was just so beautiful because because Black Trans people started our movement and pride had progressed into a place where like it was mostly parties and and dance parties and drugs and drinking and yeah there were like events for for education and there were events for advocacy and for community um but like the corporations really had kind of taken over pride like pride had become this this month where you could put a rainbow on your logo and pretend that you supported queer people or were like down with the cause um and like what's going on right now in america um with not just covid but also like all the police killings and the protests it was like pride was originally everyone was like oh pride is canceled because it was like we can't have a parade you know what i mean um because of covid it was like we're gonna have to basically like do it from our homes and people were organizing events it was yeah you have to reinvent yourself right 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 there are a lot of like online events for pride um almost definitely i have a full list of them bro i i was reading about them about each activity that's going to be happening for the remaining of the month and you know what each city's doing and their own virtual rallies and their own virtual um events and yeah. I love the fact that, you know, kind of like piggybacking of what I on what I spoke to you about earlier and how maybe Pride has shifted more towards a celebratory, more so than an awareness and educational way. And I think, like, why can't we have all the above? Like, you know, why can't we utilize right. this moment right. to not only, you know, make the public and the people in society aware of what struggles and hurdles are still on the horizon for you know, the LBGTQ community, but also to educate those who are part of the community who have grown up, I don't want to say with less stress or less repercussions in terms of like for being, you know, who they want to be. But the fact is that a lot of these people, a lot of these young individuals, kids, teenagers who are part of the, you know, OBGTQ community, they don't understand sometimes the struggle that other people have to go through for them to have those rights. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's also um, a great time to educate them with the history, 
within the queer community and the gay community and everything that came before? I mean, I think I think that the thing the thing that was really beautiful about this year is that because there is such a movement for Black people right now, um, it has allowed our community to like shift focus onto trans black people who are like the people who are always in the most danger like it's oh oh my god the the way that 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 black trans people get treated in this world is like so horrific and like they are just like such beautiful precious souls like to to be born in a body that you don't want and to be born as a person that you don't want to be and to have the fucking courage to like be like no i'm gonna actually just be who i am even though that's something that that society thinks deserves to not exist like like to a to a deeper level you know and then on top of that being black i mean not even on top of that like as well as that like black trans people have such a like horrible time and it became really easy for the rest of us to just forget about it you know because because yeah you go out in the streets and and there's a chance that you'll be called a faggot and there's a chance that you'll get beat up but but not every single day you know what i mean like yeah you don't have to like it, it's it's a different struggle for for people like you or for other people who are not you know black or indigenous or people of color to, you know, have to walk down the street. Not only are you, you know, gay or bisexual or lesbian or whatever it is you're, you know, you feel comfortable with, but more so the fact that you're also black and you have another, right. you know, thing that you have to worry about because racism does exist. And right. you have people right. who don't support the gay community. You have people who do support the community, but they don't support the trans community. And then you right. have those who, you know, they might support trans, they might support the gay community, but then they're racist on top of that. You know, it's right. like, you know, it, it, right. it, it's just the way it is. And it's unfortunate that some people have to live this life with such, such urgency and just looking over your shoulder consistently. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah and but that's the thing is that they 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 don't deserve that and and no one deserves that like i told you it was it was right nobody does and they get it and they just get it all the time so it's been really nice to see like the community kind of like take back pride like i feel like i haven't seen this new york times list um and and i'm not going to (laughs) i'll send it to you um i i have I've just been, like, in the streets protesting. That's, like, really the only reason I've been kind of leaving my house. I mean, you know, I go to a park every once in a while to smoke. But it's um, a good reason, though. Why did you leave your house? Yeah. I was protesting! Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. Yesterday was it's just so beautiful to see because it, it feels like... I feel like our culture is shifting. See, okay, this is the thing. It's weird because I'm so young, so I don't have any, like, reference point, you know? As opposed to somebody who's in their 40s or 50s or 60s. Right, right, right. I know what what 1968, 1969 looks like from a textbook, you know, from from reading about it, from pictures. I don't know what it felt like from living it, you know what I mean? Understand. And so it's like, I don't know if this is the cultural shift that it feels like. But it feels like, I mean, like, 
Oh my goodness. Um, Shonda Rhimes shared on Instagram a thing about Black Trans Lives Matter, and it was like, this is one of the most influential people in television, like, actually making and taking a stand for these people who need it so badly. Like, I think, and well, there's the other thing is, is the culture versus the politics, right? Because at the same time that our community is coming together around the people who need it the most, and the culture is coming around to actually recognizing that there are black people dying and there are black trans people dying. Like, the culture is doing it, and then at the same time, I don't know if you've heard about the Trump administration passing their genocidal anti-trans law. I saw that. Um, On the same day as the Pulse anniversary? Right, right. Which is is insane for me because it's like, I mean, obviously, I'm not gay, but... I have a lot of family members that are some of my best friends, including yourself, are. It's a community that I've been part of by association because of my friends and family ever since I was a little kid. And this horrific thing happens in Pulse where a large number of individuals that were massacred or murdered were Puerto Ricans at that. Latino Mm -hmm. people, people of all over the world. And you're like, are you just, are you seriously just shitting on, on just not, not only like a massacre and a historic event that was sad, but also like on various cultures and communities all at the same time. I mean, I think, I think, that, I think that a conversation needs to be had about how, how, much, how much blame can actually be attributed to these cultures because I, I don't see any of my straight Latinx friends talking about Pulse, about what a tragedy it was. I don't, I don't see that. Like, I, I actually, oof, I've been having this struggle because, you know, my thing with my family has always been weird, my relationship. Yeah, of course, but I understand. We just, we just got to a point last summer where we could talk, you know, frankly. Mm-hmm. We kind of, like, got past the bullshit. And so now that we can do that, it's like, oh, because I feel like I can't express myself to you, I'm going to be challenging you on the things that you do that I think are, like, problematic, Right. And it's just led to these, like, very hostile conversations with my parents where I'm like, 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 you guys don't, you don't see people as, like, equal. Like, I sent them a link to, to the law that was passed, and I was like, this is the kind of world that you are building. A world that is unsafe for people just because of how they exist. How they, they want to live their apply. life. They didn't even reply. Like, I think, I think that we need to have a conversation about how Latinx culture treats trans people and queer people because there is, there is a lot there that... And I think, actually, I think Puerto Rican culture, as far as the cultures that I know, is, like, the most open-minded. Um, just from what I've seen. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I guess it, 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 you're not far from the truth. It just really depends on the person's upbringing and you know where they come from in terms of like household and you know yeah. who their friends are and whatnot because i'm not saying that everybody in puerto rico is accepted towards the gay community but you know it's not we don't put we don't sweep it under the rug in terms of like exposure like you can walk up and down certain areas of puerto rico and there's gonna be a gay community it's there right. um right. but again like you know is it open in some ways yes but in other ways, no, because of the Latin background. Of course. You know, 
And we all know how the Latin community is towards the gay community. I'm not saying that they're evil or bad. They're just it's a different mindset. It's a different perspective. No, it's a different mindset. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I well, there's also like, ooh, get me started on cultural imperialism. <laughs> Whoa! I mean, that, so there's also the fact that like we were taught that mindset, like our indigenous people and the people who were indigenous to Africa at that time, who created the blend that we are now like with the colonizers those people they believed that you could be queer you know they had like different genders in their societies and it was the fucking european colonizers who were like no you have to live in this like man and woman family way because catholicism says so and like they literally would like fucking like brainwash these people like it was like if you don't convert we'll we'll kill you okay like so after you know centuries of that of course of course we're, we have it ingrained in our minds that you know it's really bad to be gay, and then and then the version of the colonizers that exists, America gets to gets to pretend that that they're on our side, and then they can use that to shame us. That's why I actually have like kind of a problem talking about like people of color versus queer people because like I understand that it's an issue, but I'm also like the issue comes from a, a certain place, you know, and it's like the the like. The problem is not that people of color and, like, Latinx and black people tend to see queer people in a more aggressive way. The problem is that they were taught that by people who now have convinced themselves that they don't. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's like, I don't think that a black person sees me any more aggressively than a fucking white person. I don't think a black person or a Hispanic person sees me more aggressively than an American white person, but I think that they are less um, like hush hush about it. You know what I mean? Like I think that American ignorance is so widespread and professional because it's so good at being hidden. You know, that also- where it's like right right now, you can in the United States as a as a gay person, you can get married. But if you're a gay child, there's like 17 states, I believe. I may be wrong on the number, that still allow conversion therapy. And like just today, just today, the Supreme Court ruled that, uh, or that was yesterday, sorry, the Supreme Court ruled that you can't be fired based on being queer or trans. Yes. That was not, that was 2020. That was June of 2020. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's so much that needs to be done that that to move the culture. And I feel like, I feel uh, complicated emotions about talking about holding our communities accountable for something that ultimately they didn't start. You know what I mean? Of course. I mean, I wanted to ask you. So, taking into consideration that a lot of the corona and the pandemic situation has hindered restaurants, bars, clubs, you know, these locations specifically all throughout the West Village, Chelsea, amongst them, that are open supporters or are like that home base for a lot of these, you know, communities within the LGBTQ. And how do you see this, like the situation with the pandemic? How is it affecting these places? A lot of these places, are they going to reopen? Are they going to still exist? Like how is the gay community losing some of their most in their 
locations throughout the U.S. or throughout the world because of the pandemic. You know what I'm saying? Do you these... know that I actually think that um, there's a lot of exploitation behind like the gay bar? Um, I think that there's a lot of ooh, there's this this this. How do I put it? I I think that the gay bars are like our safe haven, you know? But I think that the context for the gay bar being a safe space for a queer person, that context is a society that is completely hostile to our existence. You know what I mean? Where it's like, even if you think about it, to be in a bar environment or a club environment, it's an environment where you're doing something to numb yourself. You're drinking or you're doing drugs or whatever, right? Like, it's it's an erasure in its own way. I think that I think that we are actually taking the opportunity to build more spaces, and and this is actually something that had already been happening like pre-COVID, um, but to build more spaces that are like gay coffee shops or like you know gay fucking like reading circles or gay. Um, ooh, I'm a member of this queer group on um, Facebook that's like queer scouts where people just go like hiking together you know um i think that that i don't think that a lot of these places are going to close down um i'm not fully familiar with i mean if, if they know, do close down is for monetary reasons right 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 but that's the thing there's there's one black owned queer bar in the city and they were facing liquidation and the community came together and raised the money you know what i mean like there were there's um, a nonprofit organization that provides housing for trans women who have just like who need it, and they said, "Look, we have this like influx of people right now, and we need money, and we raised a million dollars for them in like seven days." Like I think I think the community right now is only becoming stronger. I think that be, I think because of COVID and having to be so separate. And because of the uprising right now in the country and having to having to come together around something that's actually very important, you know, like if you're out protesting, you're like risking your life, apparently, because COVID is a thing. And it's like like to, to just get gather around something that you care about so much and to see so many people in the struggle and to be on the internet and see like your queer family just like affirming itself like i think that we're building stronger bonds with each other that are going to allow for even if there's like a wide closure of queer bars um which i don't think there will be because i again have seen us come together financially around what we need to protect you know um, but if it does happen, I feel like, you know, there will be another crop. Of, Almost definitely. Of, That's it, it, what when certain doors close, others open for even if it's not for the same person, you know, a, right. a, a misfortune for you might be an opportunity for me. Exactly. So, yeah, you might be right. Um, more than likely, we will see, you know, bars, clubs and restaurants from the LBGTQ community closing down. But more than likely, we're also going to be seeing new places open up within the next couple of years, maybe under a different concept, different idea. Well, there's, 
you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's something that I'm 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 looking forward in the sense of like seeing how these next couple of weeks are gonna affect the community, are gonna affect the rights, gonna affect the awareness, the education, because it's it's gonna be able to include more people because of the extra time that they have in hands, because of the accessibility that they're gonna have through virtual gatherings and you know the information that you can put out there it's gonna it's i think it's i think corona even though it's extremely sad and it's it's like a horror movie everything that has come with it from the civil war that's happening right now in the u.s within black rights movement and pride taking time at the moment in the way that it is alongside the world coming together in terms of awareness along with the climate change situation that's happening there's a lot of yeah. things that are not necessarily falling into place, but definitely moving in the right direction. And more than anything, what I love about it is everything's coming together as a collective. Not so right. much like everybody's on their own kind of doing their thing like right. we've been doing every year. And for a long, long time, you know, Pride has just been Pride in June. And the black community has just been doing their thing. And climate change has been doing their thing. And, you know, just indigenous people and minorities and all these things that are happening would always be like their own pockets, their own social bubbles, you know, and now because of the corona situation, because everybody has extra time in the hand, because everybody's kind of like under stress constantly and everything's on a microscope and the fact that everybody kind of feels empathy towards everybody's situation because they are part of the situation in terms of like understanding how they feel. I feel like every everything's coming together and making one big push. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it does feel like it does feel like um, like a moment where we are rebuilding the society. I mean, like if 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 oof. I mean, you know, if we were to end up with a new constitution out of this moment. And by that, I don't mean, like, you know, screw up it all and start from scratch, which I would love. But I know that that's not practical. Like, I mean, like, it, I feel like we're going to probably get, like, two or three constitutional amendments. You know what I mean? Out of whatever's happening right now. Like, I feel like the fucking 14th Amendment is going to actually come back. The 13th Amendment is going to be amended to, like, fix some shit. It's weird to feel this much hope because, like coming as an immigrant to america to to you know the land of whatever the fucking propaganda is that they spew to you (laughs) and 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 then learning as an adult because you know you go through american education system and it's still like oh america the perfect america the holy and then you get out of it and it's like oh no this country is is wow just so terrible so terrible and does not care and does not care and wants to continue doing it and then it's just like in this moment like this feels different from anything i've ever lived in america so i feel like but i feel like my hope is not so much from like i don't i don't trust this system i trust the people who have lived in this system who are fucking tired you know like like the, the ones that are not gonna stop the ones that are like look we've had enough and well, change look, is gonna happen. At the end of the day, like we really need to build a society that does not have fucking prisons, police, or fucking immigration. Like ICE, it, all of that shit is just—it it, just—it's inhumane. It is all like 
by definition inhumane and it's like to to have those institutions and to insist that that's the way that we have to live it's like no this is all of our society like if you fucking you uh, there's just there's so much death and violence that is so unnecessary because of the system that is in place where where it's like we're human beings like we fucking sent people to the fucking moon you know what i mean like we're about to send people to mars and we can't figure out how to rehabilitate somebody who committed a crime like it's like we can't figure out a way to define crime as like something that is that is actually like hurtful to the society like you can't tell me people deserve to be in prison for weed and then it's like once you start taking the people out of prison for weed how many people are you gonna have in there (laughs) you know what i mean and then i mean like it's like even with the violent criminals like i was talking to somebody about this the other day like i i agree that there are people or i think that who am i agreeing with I i think that there are people who deserve to be locked up you know like serial killers rapists embezzlers like people who are out here actually hurting people but i don't think that that lockup should be a situation in which you are abused like i don't think a prison situation shouldn't be something where you are locked in a cage like a fucking animal oh most definitely especially like especially like what i don't like is the fact that a lot of these sentences are because of racist people behind right Right. The and justice system that's... making the call of how long your sentencing is going to be. You know, right. it's... you get the racist cop, you get the racist judge, you get the racist jury, you go to the racist jail. Or, or, how set up. or, even if they're not racist, you just happen to be in the wrong state. And this state says that these laws, like if you break this law, this is your punishment. But if you're in right. this state, and if you break the same law, the punishment is less severe. Oh, well, you know, actually, uh, I had this whole thing for a while. Whenever I would go to visit my parents in D.C., I would take the Amtrak to D.C., and it was like, pot is legal in D.C., right? Taking pot across state lines is illegal, but marijuana itself, like, if you just have weed on you in D.C., you're fine if the D.C. police get you. But because they also have the federal police force there, if the federal cops get you, that's like a felony. <laughs> it's like, what the? Rafish Productions!